0: Hi everybody, Tim Garrigan with the Garrigan-Lyman Group. I'm with Bill Benjamin, partner at the investment banking firm of Galena Capital. If you own a business or care about the economy, I think you're gonna find this discussion really valuable to you. We're gonna talk about business impact from COVID, what he's learned from researching past epidemics, and what companies should be doing now to get ready for the comeback. Yes, the comeback. Hi, Bill
1: hi tim thanks for having me
0: oh great to have you um i thought it might be great to start by describing what you and galena capital do and the the role you play in in helping businesses be successful let's start there
1: that'd be great well i could take the whole period of time we have talking about that it's a passion but let me uh, let me kind of um, try to give you the cliffs notes version. So we're an investment bank. We're a, a new investment bank in Boise, Idaho. Uh, although we come from um, those roles at other firms in other parts of the uh, of the country, which I'll share in a second. We focus on four things. So we're focused only on private companies, um, yeah. and then we have what you know we call four legs of our stool. We work with companies on mergers and acquisitions. Uh, We work with companies to raise growth capital. Uh, We work with companies on strategic advice. So let's say a company might call us and say, uh, you know, we've had a a company indicate interest in acquiring us. You know, how should we think about that? What should we do? What are we worth? Um, You know, should we pursue that or should we you know look at other opportunities right mm-hmm. and and how do we make that decision so we'll help them with that and then the fourth leg of the stool is restructuring and restructuring would be anything from you know the capital structure the company is not efficient for the current environment economic environment could be a partner um, wants to retire and you need to buy that partner out uh, partners you know, decide they want to go different directions. So one buys the other out, um, you know, things like that. So four legs are our stool, mergers and acquisitions, private placement, strategic advice and restructuring. Um, We have three uh, three key members of the team. Um, I'll go through my partners uh, very quickly. uh, Jerry Sturgill. Um, Jerry was a former lawyer with Latham and Watkins in New York. He did a lot of Uh, business, um, large transactions, really global transactions, including uh, doing deals with KKR and Carlisle Group. Um, But he's done, you know, deals from hundreds of millions of dollars to billions of dollars. Uh, As a lawyer, he then uh, decided to move back to Idaho where he grew up. Um, He led the, or started the stories, corporate practice in town here. And then decided to go out and start buying and selling companies really in a merchant bank kind of fashion Uh, did that successfully and and ended up with a firm called headwaters which then got acquired by capstone and uh, and so he became an investment banker uh, for them and so he uh, jerry and i started the company Um, our our third key member of the team is juan carlos duque he brings great experience what I'll call from the other side of the table. He was with the Pritzker family office uh, where he was working with investment bankers to buy companies or to sell companies for the Pritzker family. Um, he joined at a really interesting time in the, in the Pritzker family office life cycle. Uh, um, the patriarch had passed away. Uh, the the um, family was basically trying to figure out, are we going to run? This business is one family office or multiple family offices. There was significant wealth. And, uh, and so for the first part of JC's career, he was buying um, assets for the Priskers. And for the second half, they were selling and distributing to the multiple family offices that came to be uh, after the main family office had uh, uh, disbanded those assets, if you will. Uh, my background is I was an investment banker at Piper Jaffrey. Uh, Ended up doing a lot of the business software, uh, business-to-business work um, out of Menlo Park and then really across uh, the country. Um, Had the life-changing moment and uh, when my kids were wondering who this guy was that would come home on weekends and would be gone during the week and I said, you know, I want to be a dad and move to the wealth side of the business. Uh, Ended up being the CEO of U.S. Bank's uh, registered investment advisor and broker-dealer uh, did that and ended up in Idaho through, um, uh, call it in under the big umbrella, FinTech slash InsurTech, uh, leading a company in that space and then deciding to get back into investment banking to help uh, many companies as they seek growth or seek liberating wealth. So that's a, a quick overview of what we do and who we are.
0: Fascinating. Um, uh, that's a great story. I know one of the things you do—it's fascinating to me—is that you advise clients, and part of part of how you do that is you you research what's going on in the market, you create white papers, and and you were telling me that in your research with COVID and what's been going on in the past, you you found some really fascinating research about past pandemics. Can you share a little bit about that?
1: Yeah. So. Um... You know, there have been a number of pandemics and I really tried to focus on what I'll call, you know, kind of 20th century forward. Um, but arguably the, um, the worst pandemic, pandemic the world has seen is the Spanish flu, kind of the 1918, 1919 uh, flu. It infected um, over 500 million people. So back in 1918, that was about 30% of the population. Wow. Right, um, mm-hmm. uh, there were about fifty million deaths from the Spanish flu around the world. Six hundred seventy-five thousand in the United States alone. Mm. Right. What was interesting about studying the Spanish flu? I tried to look at it from the standpoint of, you know, what was it, and how did we contain it, and then what was the impact in the market? Um, in, in terms of, are there lessons we could learn and apply to today? Uh, what was interesting in reading about the, you know, the Spanish flu was, this kind of the simplicity of, hey, social distance, right? Some of the things we're hearing today, you, you've got to stay away from other people, um, wear masks, don't go to, you know, they shut schools down, they shut churches down, they shut uh, bars and restaurants down, they shut, they called them dance halls back then, they shut dance halls down. Um, they really wanted to social distance and and then uh, some of the research around how different cities reacted so one of the things that was pretty interesting to read about was you know we were coming to the end of world war one um which is part of the impact of kind of the market i'll share in a second but coming to the end of world war one so there was a lot of excitement around that so in philadelphia the head of public health allowed a a liberty parade to occur even though the virus was it was really hitting hard right 200,000 plus people came oh. to that parade and within a week the hospitals were overflowing and over 2500 people oh. had passed away from that from that virus um you know in the research it says people were just laying dead in the streets i mean imagine the devastation wow. of i that. can't imagine and yeah. then you compare that to st louis As an example, that that is a juxtaposition of Philly, which says that they decided within two days of the first case, shutting everything down, shut the schools down, the churches down, the bars and restaurants down, and uh, told people to wear masks, wash your hands, really, really social distance, right? St. Mm. Louis had one eighth the death Mm. rate of Philadelphia um, because they got proactive because they got proactive early. And they did everything they could in an environment in 1918 when you didn't have the medical technology, the tools. I mean, if you look at our website, you look at the picture of a, um, it, it basically is like a barrack with with cots in it is how they were treating people, right? Versus today you look at these hospitals with sophisticated equipment and, you know, and all kinds of things hooked up to patients. and in ways that we can um, monitor, to try to help. So that was Spanish flu. But then if you move forward to the 50s, um, you have the Asian flu in the 60s. You have the Hong Kong flu. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that long ago we had the swine flu and mm-hmm. and so it's interesting about, you know, kind of thinking about the market and the Spanish flu. We had the end of World War one. So actually the market was up. Right? If you look yeah. at the the Asian flu, we had a uh, a depression, you know, basically on, on monetary pressure or, or monetary policy aimed at trying to curb inflation. But we were coming out of that recession at the time. We were coming out of the flu, so the market was up, right? The Hong Kong flu, um, actually, the market decreased, and at its lowest level, it only it only. I mean, it's, this is still hurts, right? It only. Fell 21% at its deepest fall. But but generally the market was, you know, down well less than 20%. If you look at the swine flu, which is more recent, 1.4 billion people in the world impacted by it. Much lower wow. death rate. Much lower death rate. But you know, we were in school back then, or we were in the workforce yep. back then. I don't remember school closings. No, no, no. I don't remember church closings. I don't mm-hmm. remember. And yet 1.4 billion people in the world were impacted, or were infected by it, right? Much more um, than now, right? Much more than, than now, kind of call it today, right? Yeah, I mean, right. We, we don't know where this will go. The death rate was much lower from the swine flu um, than what's predicted right now. Uh, you know, like I said, 1.4 billion people got it and. Uh, In the world, only 12,000, and this this seems so cold to say. I don't mean it that way, but 12,500 people in the U.S. uh, you know passed away from the swine flu. So, um, so much lower death rate, but still highly infectious and therefore highly disruptive to work environments, school environments, and uh, and and the like. Um, uh, But we're coming out of the mortgage crisis. The market was up about 40 percent. Throughout the period, right? So it's really hard to say, hey, here's what's going to happen based on past pandemics economically. um, It's easier to say um, relative to how do you get control of the virus? These are the things you have to do. And, And when you look at that, every single person owns their part of it, right? If we say hey, this thing seems to be attacking older people, they're higher risk than younger people. I'm a younger person, so I'm not going to worry about as much. It might just be a cold for me. The reality is, if I get it, even if it is just a cold or even during my asymptomatic stage, I can infect people who it could kill, right? I can infect people. At all ages, it has shown it can kill. Right. I mean, I I have a friend in Sun Valley who was in the emergency room four times and got pneumonia from it. And he's young and healthy and active. And and I have um, another friend, 61, professional golfer who died from it. Right. Yeah. was on a ventilator. And so, I mean, this thing, we just don't know enough about it yet to be able to say, um, you know, here's what's going to happen. But what we do know is. Every one of us owns the social distancing and, and playing our role in, in trying to so-called flatten the curve and make sure that we're doing what we can to um, uh, to allow public health to get their arms around it. Right
0: on. You know, I, I, I noticed a change um, just in the last week or so about masks. Um, in the past, people in the U.S. did not want to wear a mask because they it made them look and appear that they were sick but yeah. now that's flipped now yeah. it's i'm going to wear a mask because i'm being um of course to protect myself but i'm being considerate of others right right and i think that is a huge um shift that's happened um just in the just in the last week or so um, yeah as, you know that's pretty cool as All you right. um i oh, sorry but i was going to ask you about your perspective on how this is hurting or helping businesses I mean just at a at a high level what's your sense about how businesses are being impacted uh, good well, or bad
1: yeah it's a great question and and so we've all seen it in our own communities right many businesses are impacted significantly what's interesting and a lot of people um, probably know this but But maybe not. 70% of GDP is made up of consumer spending. So when the consumers are locked at home and spending goes down, businesses get hurt. Right. And that and that's part of the challenge we're going through right now. Uh, So there's a scary part of it for business, and that consumers are locked down. There's a scary part for the consumers who are people that have needs to put food on the table, to support their families, to you know, to protect themselves, right? And um, and people are across the whole kind of call it demographic and economic spectrum. And so uh, so people that are looking at this and saying, I gotta work, I mean, that that hour of pay is really, really, really important, you know, that's a challenge. And, and we've seen news stories of people saying, I have to work, so even if I feel sick, I gotta go in because I can't afford not to work um so the challenge is how do we get people really to own the social distancing that we talked about earlier and part of that we're seeing in fiscal and monetary policy right so so the feds come out taking rates you know basically to zero Um, they have created significant liquidity in terms of buying assets Um, and they've just announced with the the unemployment numbers that just came out yesterday uh, which I'll, i'll take a minute on in a second um they just announced another 2.3 trillion of you know monetary stimulus including investment if you will in states and uh and local governments um through buying municipal bonds uh including Mm -hmm. another 600 billion of investment into kind of um it medium size and their main street Lending bill—that's uh, on top of the payment protection program. So these pr- programs uh, connected to fiscal stimulus, which is what the what Congress and the President have signed off on, the 2.2 trillion dollar CARES Act. Um, these programs are really meant to try to uh, well, and you have the unemployment programs where you're extending unemployment and you're giving, you know, 600 more. Um, uh, than typical state programs will be of, right? Um, so all this is meant to help people, as scary as it sounds, to help people to stay at home, you know, to not spread the virus. So so um, so the Fed and government, and you're seeing this across the world, and people are applying similar kinds of strategies differently, but but the end result is really to try to accomplish the same thing allow people to allow business owners to keep their employees safe, um, allow employees to work from home or to be home and still get paid, right? And that and that What's really interesting about some of these programs like the EIDL or the Payment Protection Program coming out of the Small Business Administration, which is part of the CARES Act in uh, the Payment Protection Program. 200 and call it $250 billion which is the equivalent of about six weeks pay for every small business, less than 500 employees to find small business. Every small business employee to be paid for six weeks, that $250 billion. That's a stat I heard from the US Chamber. So so when you think about, you know, employee employers, you know, Tim and and other companies. We don't wanna hurt you so bad. You're hurt already. We're gonna put these programs in place to try to give you runway to do the right thing. And the right thing is have your people work from home. Uh, keep them, if they need to be furloughed, you know, and you can furlough them, but, but let's, let's try to figure out ways, um, either through unemployment insurance or, or through companies getting PPP or Main Street loans that you can continue to pay them that we keep liquidity in markets. And so when we do contain the virus and we're able to reopen, we come out of this thing strong. We didn't create a bigger problem, right? And obviously that's expensive. It's expensive to the, to the Treasury, it's expensive to the Fed, and it's expensive to the US government, but it is the right thing to do. And, and uh, I think we're all happy we're seeing, uh, we're seeing the government move um, and we're seeing these programs put in place to try to help individuals and companies.
0: Well, a couple of thoughts about that. One, I certainly appreciate it from being a business owner. the uh, the white paper you did on the CARES Act, it came out, you you put it up on LinkedIn uh, two weeks ago, and uh, on a Saturday when my business partner and I were like, "What are we gonna do?" And yeah. uh, you were you provided some real clarity for us about, yes, we should apply for the CARES Act. Let's get ready for it. And uh, you know, in because of what you did in 24 hours, we had our banker lined up. We were ready for the app when it came. We knew what we had. So thank you very much for that. And we did apply, and apparently we've been accepted. Oh, good. Um, for you. Whatever yeah. that means, right? Um, we'll see. And then uh, that's that's one thought. The other thought is there's all this new money coming in from the government. How long is do you? Is that supposed to last in terms of keeping us all at home and um, and keeping the economy somewhat going?
1: It's it's short term, right? So as I mentioned, um, Neil Bradley of the US Chamber indicated that the 249 billion for the payment protection program was the equivalent of about six weeks of pay for all small business employees. Um, that's probably not long enough. And so what we're hearing, a lot of uh, discussion about right now, Uh, you know, President Trump said another 2 trillion. You know, we're hearing Congress talk about, um, you know, new programs and what's needed to help uh, people and businesses. And so we don't know what kind of chapter two is kind of post CARES Act. We know CARES Act right now is is rolling out, you know, as we would expect, people are still nervous because there's a huge it's the elephant going through the snake right now, right? It, right. It's, there's just a lot of demand and only so much um, infrastructure that's in place to process that demand. So uh, I know people are, are scared. I know, you know, everyone's learning a lot as we go through this. But I also uh, have faith in Congress that we're going to do the right thing. Um, we realize that this is not what I'll call systemic. It's more kind of a you know, a, a virus issue that we've got to get under control. And it and if we don't let, if we get the virus issue under control without too much time, um, you know, my belief and many others who are much smarter than me believe that we won't allow the economy to, to break down fundamentally. The, the strength that was there will come back faster if we can put these programs in place. So, uh, so I, you know, I have faith uh, I think a lot of people do. I like I like hearing that Congress is already thinking about you know kind of Chapter Two of what's needed.
0: Great, you know um, that word recovery. I've seen people talk about the V, yeah. and uh, right the the downward part of the V, but also a sharp comeback uh, yeah. in the economy once once this elephant does go through the the snake, as you say, things are 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 going to come back and um i'm I'm wondering what uh your thought is about getting ready for that comeback from a business standpoint and being prepared about it
1: yeah so let me let me take it from a couple of different uh angles just to put some context around that so uh another great question um you can read all kinds of very smart people Giving thought around how quickly we'll come back from, you know, the chair of the IMF to, you know, the chair of the Fed to, you know, a bunch of academics, you know, all people with huge credentials, a lot of credibility and um, and there are varying thoughts around that. Are we going to see a V? Are we going to see a U, which is more extended? You know, are we going to see a W in the market? right? Are we getting the dead cap bounce right now, the so-called dead cap bounce? Um, you know, we we did set a record, uh, two records very quickly. We we set a Dow record in terms of a high at 29,551 on February 12th, and then we fell about 37%. Um, we, we hit the 20% fall in about 20, 20 days, which was a record fall from kind of highs to bear market territory. We fell on March 23rd to call it 18.5, down about 37% and we're up, you know, uh, call it, I mean, we're down overall about 20%, but we're up, you know, call it into the 23 range of the Dow right now. So the question is, do we fall back down and create the W before we go back up? Um, You know, so are there two Vs connected, if you will? Um, but if you look at some of the smart, you know, kind of chief investment officers and economists for the big global banks, like the JP Morgans and the Morgan Stanley's and the Goldman Sachs, you know, all of them reforecasted first quarter to be negative, okay. but a huge uh, change in their second quarter estimates. So a lot of them are, you know, negative 30 plus percent uh, GDP annualized. Right. And, mm-hmm. and so the expectation is. We're going to see a huge spike in unemployment, which we're seeing, um, we're going to see, you know, huge GDP impact as these business closures and the stay at home orders are, uh, and the consumers have really stopped, um, you know, discretionary spending. They, they still need to spend on the staples, but they've stopped right. discretionary spending. and so. Uh, you know, so I'll give you a couple numbers. Goldman Sachs expects second quarter GDP to be down 34 percent. Morgan Stanley down 37.9. J.P. Morgan down 25. Uh, Bank of America down 30. Right. These are second quarter forecasts for call it GDP annualized. Right. And then all of them expect some recovery, um, but at varying angles of the V, if you will, in the second okay. half of the year. And uh, Uh, And so um, if if and I think they're all caveated on if we can get our arms around uh, COVID-19, we can contain the virus, you know, if we can flatten the curve, uh, you know, we can we can begin to see an economic recovery. And then it's really how fast does it go? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think a lot of that is dependent on how fast we're able to contain the virus. Right
0: and probably that answer your question. Oh, it does. And then probably how fast people feel like it's okay either to, one, to go back to work or even to walk down the the street and go into a store again, right? I mean, there's yeah. that that aspect. We're, we're all longing
1: for that. I miss just walking into a coffee shop and yeah, I just sitting too. and working at a coffee table for a while. It's we're yes. longing for that, but I think you know, I think it's much smarter to do, you know, to be in and do what we're doing, right? Which is one of the right. fundamental changes I think we'll see going forward is You you know, this approach we're taking now is forcing us to use tools we might have thought, yeah, we should do that. That sounds kind of cool. But we didn't do it really. And now we're forced to and we're seeing how effective it is, how easy it is. I mean, I think there's fundamental shifts that will occur uh, because of this uh, long term.
0: I do too. I. Just how we're using Teams technology here—it's like I could have had a V8, you know? Why didn't I? Why didn't I use that? I mean, we've been using it for for quite a while, but to be able to have these kind of discussions is 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 I find really insightful and easy, and uh, in some ways, I feel more connected. Um, um, What do you think businesses right now should be doing to to? To make themselves ready for um, the this comeback whenever that is
1: yeah so i mean it, it part of that depends on where you are in your business if if you know i mean some businesses are shut down you know coffee shops restaurants yeah. theaters right so it depends where you are but but regardless of where you are um you know if you're the business owner or a senior leadership person You know, really dig deep into learning, right? Um, Really dig deep into financial controls, operational controls, really understand uh, your supply chain. Um, You know, make sure that you know on the supply chain, you know, kind of call this the black swan event. You know, where do I have exposure in my supply chain? You know, where have my supply chain partners struggled? Um, what can I do to be either helping them uh, or making sure I have backup plans or, or having a change if I feel like, you know what, this exposed, you know, the rocks that tell me I, I need to make a change. Right. But, um, you know, you and I are both working with a company by the name of Melt, which I think it is really sharing a best practice in, in this but I'd also say you are too, and I'd like to get to that in a little bit. But um, uh, the you know the key is really um, take this time where you're kind of scrambling, if you will, to survive, uh, but really dig deep into all your controls, what you're learning, and make sure you come out of it having learned and you've made made changes with that. And so there's the supply chain side. There's the distribution side, depending on your business model. Um, you know, what are you seeing on the distribution side? What impacts occurred? You know, did distribution shut down, and why? Right. And and right. so seeing companies that are really struggling through this. I mean, you look at you know you look at what we've talked about: airlines and automotive and churches and schools and restaurants and you know cruise lines and oil and gas and you know there's a lot of you know sectors that have really struggled from this but then look at grocery stores look at restaurants that deliver food look at gig economy companies like you know instacart and postmate and you know grubhub and you know others that are delivering needed supplies to consumers um so consumers still have staples they have to get and and so there are ways consumers are spending money, even though they've stopped in a lot of other areas, the entertainment and kind of those discretionary dollars. Um, But within that, you know, if you're a company, you ought to be looking at all that and thinking about, okay, when I come out of this, I'm seeing where companies are doing well. I'm seeing where companies are really struggling. I'm seeing where I'm really struggling or where we're really struggling. I'm looking at the entire value chain and I'm seeing where I have hot spots, and I got to fix those, right? And I have to, and maybe I should shift my strategy a little bit to take advantage of things because I've seen some best practices of companies that, you know, that weathered this storm better, or that yeah. were in a different industry, but it sparked an idea where we should look at that as a direction or a way, you know, to complement what we're doing now. I, I think that's absolutely critical, and I think to the extent your company that wants to grow and is seeking growth capital or your company that is contemplating a merger or a sale or some kind of strategic partnership all that work is going to be worth it for you because it's going to pay dividends at that time you go out to raise that capital you go to merge you go to sell your company or you establish a strategic partnership right It right. all those things are going to be helpful to you
0: you know i The mantra I have with my management team right now is, uh, what is it that I don't see? Because what I don't see is costing me money. And I I think that's just been a wonderful way to start asking the questions about better visibility, better dashboards. How do we plug holes in the supply chain? How do we work with our partners? All that, I think. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm right in line with you on that. And, and, you know, this forced us to, in, in our business, it's been back burner. It's been back burner for a long time. And then boom, overnight, um, we have all these new um, procedures and practices in place and we have a long way to go, but I also tell my, my, my team don't, think about how far we still have to go let's take a look at how far we've come look at the gain we've had since uh feb 12 feb 15 something like that it's been phenomenal change positive change in growth so
1: right um, well when i look at your business uh really on the service side which which is you know critical to our economy um, and the discussions we've had, I, you, you have a lot of best practices that I think would be helpful for people viewing this to, to hear some of the things that you're doing. But when I look at, you've got highly talented, motivated people that are making impacts in companies, big and small, right? In right. terms of what you're doing to help them brand, to communicate a message, to reach out. Uh, to a, a target client base, to expand client bases. you know, this is a highly skilled labor force. And when something like this hits and everyone starts to tighten the belt and then they start to wonder, okay, what does this mean? You know, what you and Rebecca and your senior leadership team are doing to kind of embrace everyone, you know, across your offices, you know, spread across the country um, I think is phenomenal. I think it'd be helpful for people Thank you. to hear what you're doing and how you're doing it and how you've, I think, strengthened culture yeah. in, in a time like this because people see how much you care, right? It's oh, not, yeah. mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's really you've, you've uh, you, you seem like someone who's always been transparent, but what you've described is highly transparent. And I think that's a critical step where you've brought everyone in and helped them be a part of the solution. Um, and ask them to participate in the kind of, if you will, the tightening of the belt, right?
0: Absolutely. I think, you know, well, you know, first, it's hard to get into our organization. You have to be, you know, you have to be an accountable and high performance person. And it's a high performance culture, not high maintenance culture. So that's that's super important. The second thing is it helps that it's and there's not a lot of ego. Um, in the agency uh, across the offices in Seattle, Boise, and in New York, and so that that helps. And then it's a very collaborative organization, and just kind of naturally so because everybody likes to be with everybody. And so um, one of the things we've done to to what you're talking about is every day we um, we all teams in at um, 2:30 Pacific, and we have a we have a, a coffee break. Yeah. And, uh, it's hilarious. You know, I try to, I try to make it be about business, but it hardly ever is. It's either jokes or it's what are you wearing or, but it doesn't matter. It's, you know, it's really about connecting everyone. And, um, it, it's kind of a beautiful thing to see. We had, uh, two of our, two of our office managers met, um, at a Costco parking lot and, um, uh, they each, um, had things to pick up and then they uh, were uh, uh, all by themselves their cars were apart and they played a song from Dirty Dancing and they danced to it but they were you know two or three cars apart uh, and then they showed it to us yesterday it's like wow that's you know that is just such a beautiful moment you know that so there's there's things like that I think teams helps a lot and um, and then I think what you know, what we're working on right now, well, we we exist as an organization to to create a bigger impact and realize a greater future for our clients, our employees, and our communities, right? And so we're these days, um, um you know, we're we're about business transformation, world-class digital experiences, and really creating great brand engagements that that drive loyalty and and really exponential growth for our clients. That's that's what those teachers are about. And so um, right now we're more interested in understanding how we can be useful to our clients, um, not trying to sell anything or make any money, just how can can we be of help? And so it's interesting to see how we've helped some businesses pivot, to your point, who have been so reliant on foot traffic, like um, somebody in Seattle who has Pike Place Market walking tours well, there's nobody walking in the Pike place market. She's got nothing going on. And so we helped her pivot to help shop through the, for the, through the Pike place market and be a place where you can online order. And then she'll put that together in a basket and deliver it. Yeah. No touch or ship it. And uh, and we're calling those virtual pop-ups. Isn't that fun? Yeah, so who, who would have thought about that? And we're doing it for the Bellevue art museum so that they can sell some products, some, um, And then we're helping um, here in Idaho with schools closed. You know, there's a need for lower income students to have a computer um, and then find connectivity so they can do online learning at home. And so we're we're working with uh, HP and um, the Idaho Business for Education group to raise to to get 10,000 laptops. Oh, Um, That's great. That are distributed around the state and then there's working with uh hot spots that they're putting on buses and putting them in neighborhoods so it, it's a it's you know it, it's just amazing how much what have you know it's a, it's a terribly destructive time but it's also a really creative time um as well and so it, it, it's a little hard to um figure out how those both can be happening at the same time um, but uh, but the creative aspect of it is really quite wonderful.
1: And I think that's one of the lessons that, you know, when you ask the question, what can you be doing now, is leverage your people like you're doing to create, right? And, and your yeah. people don't even have to be just inside your company. It can be, you know, what I'll call in the circle of friends of the company and that it's business partners and it's it's other people that... Touch the company that can help create that most creative juices. Um, so, and there's a company that you know you and I are both connected to, uh, yeah. Melt Organic, and you know Melt is very fast growing. They're uh, right. plant based, um, you know, sustainable, uh, you know, organic, non-GMO, Rainforest Alliance, a B Corp. I mean, it's just one of these companies you love to love, right? And you love their sure. products. And they're they're growing fast, and they're expanding into new categories. Um, they were going to do a major announcement of uh, new plant-based cheeses, which are really good tasting. I encourage uh, everyone listening to try it and taste it. Um, but uh, Melt decided at the you know at the right time to pull out of probably the largest food show in the country right. called Expo West. And you and Melt had done a lot of work to prepare for that, and to have all the materials, and how the booth was going to be laid out, and how they're going to brand everything, and and uh, and when you, you guys made the decision, or Melt made the decision to pull out, you and the team got together and said, "Well, this work's not wasted. Let's let's leverage it." And you came up with some really creative ideas uh, to leverage all that work and really drive. Um, more demand I a mean, melt is growing faster in this environment uh, you know than they I mean they were growing really fast before but they're they're benefiting from this environment and you know part of that is the great work that you guys all did I think it'd be helpful to share a little bit of that
0: well you know we had it all set to go and then um, Scott Fisher the CEO was really conflicted about whether to go or not and we had another client in Seattle that was conflicted. And we urged them both not to go. And um, and then they pulled out. And then the next day, the show canceled. And and uh, I went over. Uh, I know Scott felt terrible about it. But once he made the decision, he felt great about it. Yeah. And I ran over to the office. And he was telling the team, his team, about we're not going to go. And, you know, you could just feel people being disappointed. But also, there's another thing that's happening now, just how resourceful people are. So just being able to say, look, we've got, um, what doesn't mean just because we're not going to the show does not mean that we're not gonna keep selling the product. And and I, uh, Scott asked me to say a few words and I said, well, look, we've got all these materials that are set to go, we have them ready. Let's turn this into a campaign tomorrow that we can put out on social and then let's create um, some um, kits that we can send product to, to the people that you most wanted to talk to. And we created a a little booth, you know, it's just basically a piece of paper with a dotted line. And if you folded it here and folded it here, it would look like a melt booth and ah. we put product with it. And, and we turned it around um, within 24 hours, we were in market with an ad campaign. And, um, and they, so all the materials that they had were still viable, useful, pertinent, And, um, I think melt to your point is a great product, amazing product and a great team and look out they're they're, they're going to be, um, they're going to be gigantic. And if, and to your point, the food business is thriving, people are more interested in brands and cooking and there's a cooking Renaissance at home, I believe. And, and this is a chance for everybody just to kind of focus on food and what's good for them and right. getting better sleep and all that kind of good stuff but melts right in the forefront of that and they, yeah. and they have the they have the the wherewithal to really be great
1: i think i think they're playing into a couple of things one is you know good food the other is healthy food right i mean i think we're all becoming i think this trend was happening before we're all becoming more health conscious Uh, No matter what demographic we're in, I mean, the demographics look at it differently, um, but but some kind of of core fundamental beliefs is we've got to eat healthier. Uh, There's also a you know a real kind of heartfelt belief of we've got to do things more sustainable for the planet, right? So regardless of where you are in the climate change curve, I think everyone would agree that we can all make decisions that allow greater sustainability and and less hurtful impact to the planet and you know companies like melt allow us to do that in a way where we don't sacrifice taste we actually get great tasting food that's good for us and good for the planet and i think that's you know that's a a great part of the company it's also a great part of the work that you and the company have done together in terms of um branding the company
0: well Thanks. Hey, we're, we're, we're about out of time. I love the perspective that you have on, you know, where business is going and the business climate, and we talked about some of the white papers um, that you have done. Are you? Do you have other white papers in the works that um, we can look forward to?
1: Yeah, we do. Um, we have a couple that we're working on right now, uh, you know, kind of the unfortunate but fortunate side. Um, uh, is you hate to talk about the word bankruptcy. Um, right. Probably easier to talk about the word restructuring, uh, but there is likely to be a high demand for um, help in that arena. And so we're going to be publishing a white paper on bankruptcy and restructuring. You know, so if you're in that situation, kind of, you know, what do I do? How should I think about this? You know, who who should I be working with? How do I how do I navigate these waters? Um, so we've got that coming out. We've got a white paper coming out on how do I sell my business? Mm. Um, and uh, so those will probably be our next couple of white papers that we roll out.
0: Awesome. Well, um, maybe oh, after this come out, we can uh, have another discussion in a couple of weeks and talk about those two. I would love it. Oh, okay. awesome. Well, uh, uh, this is Bill Benjamin, uh, who's at Galena Capital. I just want to—I just want to bring up your your website here, just so people have a good. Um, there it is. There's your beautiful site in beautiful downtown Boise, and um, we sure appreciate your your time today, Bill, and a great discussion.
1: All right, Tim. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me. And uh, and I loved it. I look forward to mo- many more.
0: We'll see you back in a couple weeks and you be safe and be well. I'm Tim Garrigan. And uh, if you'd like to know more about uh, my company, the Garrigan Liming Group, you can see us at glg.com. Bye, Bill. Thank you.
1: Bye. Thank you, Tim. Be safe, everyone.